This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.com. The History of the Peloponnesian War by Thucydides, 431 BC. Translated by Richard Crawley. Book One. Chapter Three. Congress of the Peloponnesian Confederacy at Lacedaemon. The Athenians and Peloponnesians had these antecedent grounds of complaint against each other. The complaint of Corinth was that her colony of Potidaea and Corinthian and Peloponnesian citizens within it were being besieged. That of Athens against the Peloponnesians, that they had incited a town of hers, a member of her alliance and a contributor to her revenue, to revolt, and had come and were openly fighting against her on the side of the Potidaeans. For all this, war had not yet broken out. There was still truce for a while, for this was a private enterprise on the part of Corinth. But the siege of Potidaea put an end to her inaction. She had men inside it. Besides, she feared for the place. Immediately summoning the allies to Lacedaemon, she came and loudly accused Athens of breach of the treaty and aggression on the rights of Peloponnese. With her, the Aegeanidans, formerly unrepresented from fear of Athens, in secret proved not the least urgent of the advocates for war, asserting that they had not the independence guaranteed to them by the treaty. After extending the summons to any of their allies, and others who might have complaints to make of Athenian aggression, the Lacedaemons held their ordinary assembly, and invited them to speak. There were many who came forward and made their several accusations, among them the Megarians, in a long list of grievances, called special attention to the fact of their exclusion from the ports of the Athenian Empire and the market of Athens, in defiance of the treaty. Last of all, the Corinthians came forward, and having let those who preceded them inflame the Lacedaemonians, now followed with a speech to this effect. Lacedaemonians, the confidence which you feel in your constitution and social order inclines you to receive any reflections of ours on other powers with a certain skepticism. Hence springs your moderation. But hence also the rather limited knowledge which you betray in dealing with foreign politics. Time after time was our voice raised to warn you of the blows about to be dealt us by Athens, and time after time, instead of taking the trouble to ascertain the worth of our communications, you contented yourselves with suspecting the speakers of being inspired by private interest. And so, instead of calling these allies together before the blow fell, you have delayed to do so till we are smarting under it, allies among whom we have not the worst title to speak, as having the greatest complaints to make, complaints of Athenian outrage and Lacedaemonian neglect. Now if these assaults on the rights of Hellas had been made in the dark, you might be unacquainted with the facts, and it would be our duty to enlighten you. As it is, long speeches are not needed where you see servitude accomplished for some of us, meditated for others, in particular for our allies, and prolonged preparations in the aggressor against the hour of war. Or what, pray, is the meaning of their reception of Corsura by fraud, and their holding it against us by force? What of the siege of Potidaea? Places one of which lies most conveniently for any action against the Thracian towns, while the other would have contributed a very large navy to the Peloponnesians. 
For all this you are responsible. You it was who first allowed them to fortify their city after the Median War, and afterwards to erect the long walls. You who, then and now, are always depriving of freedom not only those whom they have enslaved, but also those who have as yet been your allies. For the true author of the subjugation of a people is not so much the immediate agent as the power which permits it having the means to prevent it, particularly if that power aspires to the glory of being the liberator of Hellas. We are at last assembled. It has not been easy to assemble, nor even now are our, our objects defined. We ought not to still be inquiring into the fact of our wrongs, but into the means of our defense. For the aggressors which, with matured plans to oppose our indecision, have cast threats aside and betaken themselves to action. And we know what are the paths by which Athenian aggression travels, and how insidious it is its progress. A degree of confidence she may feel from the idea that your bluntness of perception prevents your noticing her, but it is nothing to the impulse which her advance will receive from the knowledge that you see, but do not care to interfere. You, Lacedaemonians, of all the Hellenes are alone inactive, and defend yourselves not by doing anything, but by looking as if you would do something. You alone wait till the power of an enemy is becoming twice its original size, instead of crushing it in its infancy, and yet the world used to say that you were to be depended upon, but in your case, we fear, it said more than the truth. The Mede, we ourselves know, had time to come from the ends of the earth to Peloponnese, without any force of yours worthy of the name advancing to meet him. But this was a distant enemy. Well, Athens at all events is a near neighbor, and yet Athens you utterly disregard. Against Athens you prefer to act on the defensive instead of on the offensive, and to make it an affair of chances by deferring the struggle till she has grown far stronger than at first. And yet you know that on the whole the rock on which the barbarian was wrecked was himself, and that if our present enemy Athens has not again and again annihilated us, we owe it more to her blunders than to your protection. Indeed, expectations from you have before now been the ruin of some, whose faith induced them to omit preparation. We hope that none of you will consider these words of remonstrance to be rather words of hostility. Men remonstrate with friends who are in error, accusations they reserve for enemies who have wronged them. Besides, we consider that we have as good a right as any one to point out a neighbor's faults, particularly when we contemplate the great contrast between the two national characters, a contrast of which, as far as we can see, you have little perception. Having never yet considered what sort of antagonists you will encounter in the Athenians, how widely, how absolutely different from yourselves, the Athenians are addicted to innovation, and their designs are characterized by swiftness alike in conception and execution. You have a genius for keeping what you have got, accompanied by a total want of invention, and when forced to act you never go far enough. Again, they are adventurous beyond their power, and daring beyond their judgment, and in danger they are sanguine. Your want is to attempt less than is justified by your power, to mistrust even what is sanctioned by your judgment, and to fancy that from danger there is no release. Further, there is promptitude on their side against procrastination on yours. They are never at home, 
you are never from it, for they hope by their absence to extend their acquisitions. You fear by your advance to endanger what you have left behind. They are swift to follow up a success, and slow to recoil from a reverse. Their bodies they spend ungrudgingly in their country's cause. Their intellect they jealously husband to be employed in her service. A scheme unexecuted is with them a positive loss. A successful enterprise, a comparative failure. The deficiency created by the miscarriage of an undertaking is soon filled up by fresh hopes, for they alone are enabled to call a thing hoped for a thing got, by the speed with which they act upon their resolutions. Thus they toil on in trouble and danger all the days of their life, with little opportunity for enjoying, being ever engaged in getting. Their only idea of a holiday is to do what the occasion demands, and to them laborious occupation is less of a misfortune than the peace of a quiet life. To describe their right character in a word, one might truly say that they were born into the world to take no rest for themselves and to give none to others. Such is Athens, your antagonist, and yet, Lacedaemonians, you still delay, and fail to see that peace stays longest with those who are not more careful to use their power justly than to show their determination not to submit to injustice. On the contrary, your ideal of fair dealing is based on the principle that, if you do not injure others, you need not risk your own fortunes in preventing others from injuring you. Now you could scarcely have succeeded in such a policy even with a neighbor like yourselves. But, in the present instance, as we have just shown, your habits are old-fashioned as compared with theirs. It is the law as in art, so in politics, that improvements ever prevail, and though fixed usages may be best for undisturbed communities, constant necessities of action must be accompanied by the constant improvement of methods. Thus it happens that the vast experience of Athens has carried her further than you on the path of innovation. Here, at least, let your procrastination end. For the present, assist your allies and Potidaea in particular, as you promised, by a speedy invasion of Attica, and do not sacrifice friends and kindred to their bitterest enemies, and drive the rest of us in despair to some other alliance. Such a step would not be condemned either by the gods who received our oaths, or by the men who witnessed them. The breach of a treaty cannot be laid to the people whom desertion compels to seek new relations, but to the power that fails to assist its confederate. But if you will only act, we will stand by you. It would be unnatural for us to change, and never should we meet with such a congenial ally. For these reasons choose the right course, and endeavor not to let Peloponnese under your supremacy degenerate from the prestige that it enjoyed under that of your ancestors. Such were the words of the Corinthians. There happened to be Athenian envoys present at Lacedaemon on other business. On hearing the speeches, they thought themselves called upon to come before the Lacedaemonians. Their intention was not to offer a defense on any of the charges which the, the, which the cities brought against them, but to show on a comprehensive view that it was not a matter to be hastily decided upon, but one that demanded further consideration. There was also a wish to call attention to the great power of Athens, and to refresh the memory of the old and enlighten the ignorance of the young, from a notion that their words might have the effect of inducing them to prefer tranquility to war. So they came to the Lacedaemonians, and said that they too, if there was no objection, 
wished to speak to the assembly. They replied by inviting them to come forward. The Athenians advanced and spoke as follows. The object of our mission here was not to argue with your allies, but to attend to the matters on which our state dispatched us. However, the vehemence of the outcry that we hear against us has prevailed on us to come forward. It is not to combat the accusations of the cities. Indeed, you are not the judges before whom either we or they can plead, but to prevent your taking the wrong course on matters of great importance by yielding too readily to the persuasions of your allies. We also wish to show on a review of the whole indictment that we have a fair title to our possessions, and that our country has claims to consideration. We need not refer to remote antiquity. There we could appeal to the voice of tradition, but not to the experience of our audience. But to the Median War and contemporary history we must refer, although we are rather tired of continually bringing the subject forward. In our action during that war, we ran great risk to obtain certain advantages. You had your share in the solid results. Do not try to rob us of all share in the good that the glory may do us. However, the story shall be told not so much to deprecate hostility as to testify against it, and to show, if you are so ill-advised as to enter into a struggle with Athens, what sort of antagonist she is likely to prove. We assert that at Marathon we were at the front, and faced the barbarian single-handed, that when he came the second time, unable to cope with him by land, we went on board our ships with all our people, and joined in the action at Salamis. This prevented his taking the Peloponnesian states in detail, and ravaging them with his fleet, when the multitude of his vessels would have made any combination for self-defense impossible. The best proof of this was furnished by the invader himself. Defeated at sea, he considered his power to be no longer what it had been, and retired as speedily as possible with the greater part of his army. Such, then, was the result of the matter, and it was clearly proved that it was on the fleet of Hellas that her cause depended. Well, to this result we contributed three very useful elements. The largest number of ships, the ablest commander, and the most unhesitating patriotism. Our contingent of ships was little less than two-thirds of the four, whole four hundred. The commander was Themistocles, through whom chiefly it was that the battle took place in the straits, the acknowledged salvation of our cause. Indeed, this was the reason of your receiving him with honors, such as had never been accorded to any foreign visitor. While for daring patriotism we had no competitors, receiving no reinforcements from behind, seeing everything in front of us already subjugated, we had the spirit, after abandoning our city, after sacrificing our property, instead of deserting the remainder of the League, or depriving them of our services by dispersing, to throw ourselves into our ships and meet the danger, without a thought of resenting your neglect to assist us. We assert, therefore, that we conferred on you quite as much as we received, for you had a stake to fight for. The cities which you had left were still filled with your homes and you had the prospect of enjoying them again, and your coming was prompted quite as much by fear for yourselves as for us. At all events, you never appeared till we had nothing left to lose, but we left behind us a city that was a city no longer, and staked our lives for a city that had an existence only in desperate hope, and so bore our full share in your deliverance and in ours. 
But if we had copied others and allowed fears for our territory to make us give in our adhesion to the Mede before you came, or if we had suffered our ruin to break our spirit and prevent us embarking in our ships, your naval inferiority would, would have made a sea fight unnecessary, and his objects would have been peaceably obtained. Surely, Lacedaemonians, neither by the patriotism that we displayed at that crisis, nor by the wisdom of our councils, do we merit our extreme unpopularity with the Hellenes? Not at least unpopularity for our empire. That empire we acquired by no violent means, but because you were unwilling to prosecute to its conclusion the war against the barbarian, and because the allies attached themselves to us and simultaneously asked us to assume command. And the nature of the case first compelled us to advance our empire to its present height, fear being our principal motive, though honor and interest afterwards came in. And at last, when almost all hated us, when some had already revolted and had been subdued, when you had ceased to be the friends that you once were, and had become objects of suspicion and dislike, it appeared no longer safe to give up our empire, especially as all who left us would fall to you. And no one can quarrel with a people for making, in matters of tremendous risk, the best provision that it can for its interest. You, at all events, Lacedaemonians, have used your supremacy to settle the states in Peloponnese, as is agreeable to you. And if at the period of which we were speaking you had persevered to the end of the matter, and, in, and had incurred hatred in your command, we are sure that you would have made yourselves just as galling to the allies, and would have been forced to choose between a strong government and danger to yourselves. It follows that it was not a very wonderful action, or contrary to the common practice of mankind, if we did accept an empire that was offered to us, and refused to give it up under the pressure of three of the strongest motives, fear, honor, and interest. And it was not we who set the example, for it has always been law that the weaker should be subject to the stronger. Besides, we believed ourselves to be worthy of our position, and so you thought us till now, when calculations of interest have made you take up the cry of justice, a consideration with no one ever yet brought forward to hinder his ambition when he had a chance of gaining anything by might. And praise is due to all who, if not so superior to human nature as to refuse dominion, yet respect justice more than their position compels them to. We imagine that our moderation would be best demonstrated by the conduct of others who should be placed in our position. But even our equity has very unreasonably subjected us to condemnation instead of approval. Our abatement of our rights in the contract trials with our allies, and our causing them to be decided by impartial laws at Athens, have gained us the character of being litigious, and none care to inquire why this reproach is not brought against other imperial powers, who treat their subjects with less moderation than we do, the secret being that where force can be used, law is not needed. But our subjects are so habituated to associate with us as equals, that any defeat whatever that clashes with their notions of justice, whether it proceeds from a legal judgment or from the power which our empire gives us, makes them forget to be grateful for allowing for being allowed to retain most of their possessions, and more vexed at a part being taken than if we had from the first cast law aside and openly gratified our, gratified our covetousness. If we had done so, not even would they have disputed that the weaker must give way to the stronger. Men's indignation, it seems, is more excited by legal wrong than by violent wrong, 
The first looks like being cheated by an equal, the second like being compelled by the superior. At all events, they contrive to put up with much worse treatment than this from the Mede, yet they think our rule severe, and this is to be expected, for the present always weighs heavy on the conquered. This at least is certain. If you were to succeed in overthrowing us and in taking our place, you would speedily lose the popularity with which fear of us has invested you, if your policy of today is at all to tally with the sample of that you gave of it during the brief period of your command against the Mede. Not only is your life at home regulated by rules and institutions incompatible with those of others, but your citizens abroad act neither on these rules nor on those which are recognized by the rest of Hellas. Take time, then, in forming your resolution, as the matter is of great importance, and do not be persuaded by the opinions and complaints of others to bring trouble on yourselves, but consider the vast influence of accident in war before you are engaged in it. As it continues, it generally becomes an affair of chances, chances from which neither of us is exempt, and whose event we must risk in the dark. It is a common mistake in going to war to begin at the wrong end, to act first and wait for disaster to discuss the matter. But we are not yet by any means so misguided, nor, so far as we can see, are you. Accordingly, while it is still open to us both to choose, all right, choose a right, we bid you not to dissolve the treaty, or to break your oaths, but to have our differences settled by arbitration according to our agreement. Or else we take the gods who heard the oaths to witness, and if you begin hostilities, whatever line of action you choose, we will try not to be behind hand in repelling you. Such were the words of the Athenians. After the Lacedaemonians had heard the complaints of the allies against the Athenians, and the observations of the latter, they made all withdraw, and consulted by themselves on the question before them. The opinions of the majority all led to the same conclusion. The Athenians were open aggressors, and war must be declared at once. But Archidamus, the Lacedaemonian king, came forward, who had the reputation of being at once a wise and a moderate man, and made the following speech. I have not lived so long, Lacedaemonians, without having had the experience of many wars, and I see those among you of the same age as myself, who will not fall into the common misfortune of longing for war, from inexperience or from a belief in its advantage and its safety. This, the war on which you are now debating, would be one of the greatest magnitude, on a sober consideration of the matter. In a struggle with Peloponnesians and neighbors, our strength is one of the same character, and it is possible to move swiftly on the different points. But a struggle with a people who live in a distant land, who have also an extraordinary familiarity with the sea, and who are in the highest state of preparation in every other department, with wealth, private and public, with ships and horses and heavy infantry, and a population such as no one other Hellenic place can equal, and lastly a number of tributary allies. What can justify us in rashly beginning such a struggle? Wherein is our trust that we should rush in unprepared? Is it in our ships? There we are inferior. While well, if we are to practice and become a match for them, time must intervene. Is it in our money? There we have a far greater deficiency. We neither have it in our treasury, nor are we ready to contribute it from our private funds. Confidence might possibly be felt in our superiority in heavy infantry and population, which will enable us to invade and devastate their lands. 
but the Athenians have plenty of other land in their empire, and can import what they want by sea. Again, if we are to attempt an insurrection of their allies, these will have to be supported with a fleet, most of them being islanders. What then is to be our war? For unless we can either beat them at sea, or deprive them of the revenues which feed their navy, we shall meet with little but disaster. Meanwhile, our honor will be pledged to keep to keeping on, particularly if it be the opinion that we began the quarrel. For let us never be elated by the fatal hope of the war being quickly ended by the devastation of their lands. I fear rather that we may leave it as a legacy to our children. So improbable is it that the Athenian spirit will be the slave of their land, or Athenian experience be cowed by war. Not that I would bid you to be so unfeeling as to suffer them to injure your allies, and to refrain from unmasking their intrigues, but I do bid you not to take up arms at once, but to send and remonstrate with them in a tone not too suggestive of war, nor again too suggestive of submission, and to employ the interval in perfecting our own preparations. The means will be, first, the acquisition of allies, Hellenic or barbarian it matters not, so long as they are an accession to our strength, naval or pecuniary. I say Hellenic or barbarian, because the odium of such an accession to all who like us are the objects of the designs of the Athenians is taken away by the law of self-preservation. And secondly, the development of our home resources. If they listen to our assembly, so much the better. But if not, after the lapse of two or three years, our position will have become materially strengthened and we can then attack them if we think proper. Perhaps by that time the sight of our preparations, backed by language equally insignificant, will have disposed them to submission, while their land is still untouched, and while their counsels may be directed to the retention of advantages as yet undestroyed. For the only light in which you can view their land is that of a hostage in your hands, a hostage the more valuable the better it is cultivated. This you ought to spare as long as possible and not make them desperate, and so increase the difficulty of dealing with them. For if while still unprepared, hurried away by the complaints of our allies, we are induced to lay it waste, have a care that we do not bring deep disgrace and deep perplexity upon Peloponnese. Complaints, whether of communities or individuals, it is impossible. It is possible to, to adjust. But war undertaken by a coalition for sectional interests, whose progress there is no means of foreseeing, does not easily admit of creditable settlement. And none need think it cowardice for a number of confederates to pause before they attack a single city. The Athenians have allies as numerous as our own, and allies that pay tribute. And war is a matter not so much of arms as of money, which makes arms of use. And this is more than ever true in a struggle between a continental and a maritime power. First, then, let us provide money, and not allow ourselves to be carried away by the talk of our allies before we have done so, as we shall have the largest share of responsibility for the consequences, be they good or bad. We also have a right to a tranquil inquiry respecting them. And the slowness and procrastination, the parts of our character that are most assailed by their criticism, need not make you blush. If we undertake the war without preparation, we should by hastening its commencement only delay its conclusion. Further, a free and a famous city has through all time been ours. The quality which they condemn is really nothing but a wise moderation, thanks to its possession. We alone do not become insolent in success and give way less than others in misfortune, 
we are not carried away by the pleasure of hearing ourselves cheered on to risks which our judgment condemns, nor, if annoyed, are we any the more convinced by attempts to exacerbate us by accusation. We are both warlike and wise, and it is our sense of order that makes us so. We are warlike because self-control contains honor as a chief constituent, and honor bravery. And we are wise, because we are educated with too little learning to despise the laws, and with too severe a self-control to disobey them, and are brought up not to be too knowing in useless matters, such as the knowledge which can give a specious criticism of an enemy's plans and theory, but fails to assail them with equal success in practice. But are taught to consider that the schemes of our enemies are not dissimilar to our own, and that the freaks of chance are not determinable by calculation. In practice, we always base our preparations against an enemy on the assumption that his plans are good. Indeed, it is right to rest our hopes, not on a belief in his blunders, but on the soundness of our provisions. Nor ought we to believe that there is much difference between man and man, but to think that the superiority lies with him who was reared in the severest school. These practices, then, which our ancestors have delivered to us, and by whose maintenance we have always profited, must not be given up, and we must not be hurried into deciding in a day's brief space a question which concerns many lives and fortunes and many cities, and in which honor is deeply involved, but we must decide calmly. This is our strength, peculiarly enables us to do. As for the Athenians, send to them on the matter of Potidea, send on the matter of the alleged wrongs of the allies, particularly as they are prepared with legal satisfaction, and to proceed against one who offers arbitration as against a wrongdoer, law forbids. Meanwhile, do not omit a preparation for war. This decision will be the best for yourselves, the most terrible to your opponents. Such were the words of Archidamus. Last came forward Thenelides, one of the ephors for that year, and spoke to the Lacedaemonians as follows. The long speech of the Athenians I do not pretend to understand. They said a good deal in praise of themselves, but nowhere denied that they are injuring our allies in Peloponnese. And yet if they behaved well against the Mede then, but ill towards us now, they deserve double punishment for having ceased to be good and for having become bad. We meanwhile are the same then and now, and shall not, if we are wise, disregard the wrongs of our allies or put off till tomorrow the duty of assisting those who must suffer today. Others have much money and ships and horses, but we have good allies whom we must not give up to the Athenians, nor by lawsuits and words decide the matter, as it is anything but in word that we are harmed, but render instant and powerful help. And let us not be told that it is fitting for us to deliberate under injustice. Long deliberation is rather fitting for those who have injustice in contemplation. Vote, therefore, Lacedaemonians, for war, as the honor of Sparta demands, and neither allow the further aggrandizement of Athens, nor betray our allies to ruin, but with the gods let us advance against the aggressors. With these words he, as Ephor, himself put the question to the assembly of the Lacedaemonians. He said that he could not determine which was the loudest acclamation. Their mode of decision is by acclamation, not by voting. The fact being that he wished to make them declare their opinion openly, and thus to increase their ardor for war. Accordingly, he said, 
all Lacedaemonians who are of opinion that the treaty has been broken and that Athens is guilty, leave your seats and go there, pointing out a certain place. All who are of the opposite opinion, there. They accordingly stood up and divided, and those who held that the treaty had been broken were in a decided majority. Summoning their allies, they told them that their opinion was that Athens had been guilty of injustice, but that they wished to convoke all the allies and put it to the vote, in order that they might make war if they decided to do so on a common resolution. Having thus gained their point, the delegates returned home at once. The Athenian envoys a little later, when they had dispatched the objectives of their mission. This decision of the assembly, judging that the treaty had been broken, was made in the fourteenth year of the thirty years' truce, which was entered into after the affair of Euboea. The Lacedaemonians voted that the treaty had been broken, and that the war must be declared, not so much because they were persuaded by the arguments of the allies, as because they feared the growth of the power of the Athenians, seeing most of Hellas already subject to them. This is the end of chapter 3.